This is Michael Cowan, and welcome to Trial Lawyer Nation. When the jury panel comes into the courtroom and the bailiff says, all rise, I know we're here. And it doesn't matter who they are, nobody should be above the law. A lot of us talk about that, but you actually done it. That's how you also maintain quality control over your practice. Yeah. That's a question I get asked a lot, and here's the answer. Welcome to Trial Lawyer Nation, your source for guidance to win bigger verdicts, get more cases, and manage your practice. And now, here's your host, noteworthy author, sought-after speaker, and renowned trial lawyer, Michael Cowan. Today, I'm excited to have attorney Jim Adler, the Texas Hammer, on the show with us. This was a great episode to record because Jim is incredibly open about what it took for him to become the Texas Hammer. I remember seeing his commercials when I was growing up. I even brought up watching an episode of Beavis and Butthead that had him parodied in the background. His response isn't going to be what you think it would be, but it's a great lesson on how to respond to people when they try to make fun of you and what his mindset is in business, I think goes a long way to explaining how successful he's become. More importantly, Jim's talked to us about how he's grown his firm to be over 300 employees, one of the largest personal injury firms in the country. He's kind enough to share the important lessons he's learned along the way, the kind of processes he has to have in place at his firm to keep it productive, and the things he does every morning to keep learning. He even tells us some of the books he's recently read that could help you and me get our practices to be better. It's a great episode, and I'm excited for everyone to hear from the man behind the Texas Hammer advertisements. So let's start the show. Today on Trial Lawyer Nation, I have uh, Jim Adler. Uh, you may know him as a Texas Hammer. Uh, Jim is a lawyer here in Houston, Texas, with offices across the state, and he's uh, over the years not just been a pioneer in legal advertising, but he's built up a heck of a law firm, and he's agreed to come on here and tell us a little bit of a story and how he how he built this thing up. How are you doing today, Jim? Great. Good afternoon, Michael. How's it going? It's going great. Thanks for uh, coming on the podcast. Sure. My pleasure. So let me start. Uh, tell us a little bit about yourself. Okay. Well, um, let's see. I, I grew up in uh, Dallas, Texas, went to St. Mark's in Dallas, and Wound up, uh, since I went to a prep school, wound up at Overland College in Ohio for a while. And uh, then I went to, um, went, to, went to Oberlin for a year and a half and then went to te- the University of Texas undergrad and University of Texas Law School. Um, I'm an avid golfer, used to play a lot of tennis. Uh, I used to play a lot of touch football, baseball. Uh, those days are over. I <laughs> uh, still like, I love to uh, exercise, work out, uh, have a large family, four children, nine grandchildren. Been married uh, 40 years to wow. my wife, Debbie. And uh, those are kind of the high points. Yeah. And just as an aside, has your practice let you be a father and a grandfather? Um, <laughs> well, uh, that's an interesting question. That, it's something uh, I struggle with, and I'm sure. Yeah. I, I mean, it's, uh, and I'll, I'll go into a little more of your story in a little bit, but I just, yeah. I just struck me that, you know, that's. Originally, um, when, when I first started uh, advertising in 1977 after the United States Supreme Court passed the uh, Arizona State Bar versus Bates and Osteen case, which allowed advertising. 
I was uh, really busy working all day, going to hearings, going to court, handling all, I had a general civil practice doing divorce, bankruptcy, um, all kinds of franchise work, securities offering circulars. Um, so I'd work all day, take a huge briefcase home on a roller. My kids would jump on the roller when I got home that night and I'd pull them into my office, eat dinner with the wife and kids, and then start working again at night till around 11 or 12. And then at 12, I'd fill out a mutual fund uh, off, um, applications, try to invest some of the money I made. So it was tough, but we took great vacations and I tried to take my kids to baseball games on the weekends and just uh, played little league. I was a little league coach and tried to get them out to play golf. And we, in the summer, we took wonderful vacations to Colorado and we took uh, probably 10 or 15 different Caribbean cruises, oh, right. Mediterranean, etc. But yeah, it's a, you know, the, the law is a jealous mistress. So, yeah, hard. I was just wondering, yeah, yeah, over the years, have you been able to get your practice, I guess the way I've heard it, get your practice to serve you instead of you serving your practice where you can st- still have a well-running law firm but still have a bit more of a life? Or is it still yeah. the, uh, Well, two things. One, I've learned to delegate. In the, in the beginning, I was doing everything. I was meeting with clients, going to hearings, filling out the settlement checks, signing up clients, going all over town, meeting with clients, signing them up, going to hearings at the Workers' Comp Commission, going to hearings at the courthouse, and uh, it was just me and a secretary and a law clerk. And then um, over the years, I've, I've just had to learn to delegate. I just couldn't do it all. That was the hardest thing, though, because... Um, you know, the, if I wanted something do, done right, I just figured I'd, I'd have to do it myself. But I, I guess I've gotten used to rather than a hundred percent efficiency or ninety percent, I'll be, I'll delegate and be satisfied with a little less. Yeah, it's tough. Yeah. Well, I kind of want to go back then. So you got out of law school, uh, you're at the University of Texas Law School. Did you have any idea that you were going to become a big personal injury lawyer? Oh, man. I, I, thought, and I never thought I'd, I'd make a lot of money. I, in those days, uh, it, it would have been ridiculous to think I could make $100,000. <laughs> um, and so, you know, I just started out like, just struggling, doing everything to feed my family and stay alive. And then I started uh, advertising in the green sheet, uh-huh. got a little business, and then I went into the TV guide and got a little business. And one day I got this brochure in the mail from a television ad producer, and I looked at it and I said, oh, no, I can't do that. That's unprofessional. I went to the University of Texas. <laughs> We're professionals. We don't engage in the unseemly business of marketing for law cases. So 
the brochure sat on my desk for six months. Wow. And I'd peek at it and I'd put it, no, I can't <laughs> do that, Dan, put it down. So finally, after six months, I called the, the guy. I'm there. It was a guy named Hayden Bramley, and he used to do ads for Nissan Motors, and he had a company called Lawyers Marketing Services. And he said, try it. You'll like it. <laughs> he said, go on one station and just run a few ads. And I didn't have any money back then, so I, I went on Channel 39 here in, in Houston, which was a Gaylord Entertainment Network station at that time. And I remember my phone started ringing off the wall. Of course, I, at that point, I, I pretty much had a monopoly. There were no other, we're talking, what, 1977, 1978? There weren't hardly any other, there were maybe one or two other lawyers advertising. Now there's hundreds in every city. Yeah, much, much harder barrier to entry now. Yeah, 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 exactly, right. It's just hard to get in, into advertising now. And the... The TV spot, the the TV spot cost has just gone up. I don't know five, ten times what it used to be. So what? You know, we talked about you had that brochure. What is it that helped you kind of cross over? Because I mean, back then I'm sure there was a lot of social pressure not to advertise as a lawyer. I mean, it had been oh. outlawed in most states until '77. It was, yeah. I mean, it was, you know, it was. Uh, you know, I'd been brought up in the University of Texas law law school system, very conservative law school. Uh, the a lot of the guys on law review went to the big firms, which were very conservative in their ways, and it was just just considered uh, anathema for lawyers to advertise. But you know, I had a young family to feed, and. I wanted to see if I could be more successful. And then um, one day a, a guy called me. He had bought a little electrical testing machine at Radio Shack. And uh, it blew up in his face. And, and he had surface burns. And uh, I, I uh, sued Radio Shack and sent him a demand letter and settled it for $15,000, which in... In those days, in the personal injury world, that was a pretty good sum of money. There were no million-dollar verdicts back then, and I, I calculated the hours I'd, um, I'd put into earning that $5,000 fee up against the hours I was spending doing uniform franchise offering circulars and private placement memorandums for oil and gas deals and the... the the irony of those deals was I, I was I was making you know thousands of dollars and helping guys put together multi million dollar deals and it's kind of okay what's wrong with this picture <laughs> I, I've still got the million dollar risk if I got get sued but I'm not getting paid a million dollars to put together a franchise deal or an oil and gas deal or all these other things I was doing so. I, I just decided to delve into the personal injury realm, and um, that's kind of how it happened. How long did it take you to become exclusively uh, personal injury? 
Um, you know, I, uh, I had several uh, partners that I office, office with, and I still had a general practice. And in, uh, in 1984, I'd, be, I'd become a fairly successful television advertiser. I was on a number of stations. I started to do a little Spanish advertising. Uh, the Martillo Tejano, I know that. Sí, sí, señor. El abogado inteligente tenaz was uh, the, my Spanish equivalent trademark. Mm-hmm. The so, Gloria. Right. <laughs> and so um, I had a tennis buddy, Robert O'Connor, who at that time was a United States district judge here in Houston. And we got to talking, and he wanted to go back into... Uh, into uh, private practice. He was a very powerful politician in before he became a federal judge. And, but he had tried a lot of lawsuits. So the deal was that he would do the trial work and I would handle the business end and the marketing end. And he said, Jim, you know, you're wasting your time doing divorces, doing bankruptcy, um, doing all these other areas, real estate deals, and it, now, now this is the age of specialization, and, and he convinced me that the area, the, it was okay to have a general practice in a small town probably, but in a big city, he convinced me it was the age of the specialist. So we started a practice specifically dealing only in personal injury, and in those days, we were one of the biggest workers' comp practitioners, and we had a huge third-party case yeah. practice and and auto, and and then uh, it was in the era of the Kilgarland Court, so premises liability cases were good. Everything was good. Yeah. So you know. Yeah, you 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 were. I hate to say fortuitous because it takes a lot of hard work uh, right. and sacrifice to build what you built but you know one being getting in first and getting in in an era of, of good a good time to be a tort lawyer uh, no in Texas. I, I think you're right I, it was a lot of good luck uh, my timing was fortuitous because uh, the laws have gotten so defense oriented now and it's it's so much more difficult to win a case at trial. And I remember in those days, uh, John O'Quinn was getting huge verdicts, Joe Jamel, uh, Wayne Fisher, my guy, all these lawyers were getting these huge verdicts and they just weren't getting reversed by the Supreme Court. So I was fortunate to get into the personal injury, injury practice in the salad days. And I also, uh, got to develop my, my name over a period, a long period of time to where, what, what's, what's funny is uh, lawyers will come up to me and say, uh, oh, I used to watch your ads when they were on Flipper. I said, yeah. well, well, that show's not even on TV anymore. Uh, so, you know, and now I'm into my third, fourth, fifth generation of viewers on TV. It, it's just amazing how it's developed and grown. Yeah, I, I grew up, I remember as a teenager in high school seeing your ads and in college seeing your ads <laughs> and even on uh, 
there was a cartoon on MTV called Beavis and Butthead. And oh, was, yeah. There was a parody of it's the hammer, and he Mike Judge from Texas. because it it's, doesn't have your name on it, but it's someone imitating you in the background on one of their episodes. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that, yeah, Mike Judge is one of my biggest, the, you know, the author, he's one of my biggest uh, fans. He, he did those Beavis and Butthead ads where uh, Beavis goes into the, I think the lawyer's name was Joe Adler. And, yeah. Uh, and uh, Beavis says, uh, 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 I've got a personal injury. I have a crack in my butt. <laughs> and uh, Joe Adler uh, reaches in his desk drawer and pulls out a neck collar. And he says, you may need one of these neck collars for your case. And then he, he did some... Uh, actually, uh, I, I called up my uh, intellectual uh, property lawyer in... Uh, he he kind of said, uh, "Who was it? That was it? Will Rogers or W. C. Fields said, just spell my name right.' Right. <laughs> and any publicity is good publicity because yep. uh, I, I got insulted. I said, "I'm going to sue that guy." Yeah. He said, "No, forget about it. Be happy they're bringing up your name." Because I still remember it twenty years later. <laughs> yeah, I mean, funny? and uh, obviously you're not handing out neck neck braces at the office. But. And then uh, Mike Judge did the movie Extract. Okay, I haven't seen that one. Yeah, you got to look at it. It's so funny. And uh, Gene Simmons, the uh, Kiss yeah. star, he plays a lawyer named Joe Adler, and. Uh, a machine explodes and hurts his poor factory workers' private parts. Ouch. And uh, Joe Adler goes to mediation and he tells the insurance company guy, he says, look, we can settle this case real easy. All you have to do is put your private parts in this door like my client got hurt and I'll slam it. Bam! <laughs> And we'll settle the case. So that's extract. That's funny because my partner, we were uh, mediating a, 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 one of these cigarette battery fire cases. And, oh, and a yeah. guy just had a battery in his pocket, catch on fire, and it burned his privates a little bit. The bad yeah. burns were on the lead, but burned. And so my partner was covering the mediation, and she said uh, to the guy from Korea, Well, you say that's a lot of money. How about this? What amount of money? I'm going to get a blowtorch. <laughs> What amount of money do I have to pay you to burn your private parts? <laughs> and, uh, you know, he was offended for a little while, but the case resolved about an hour later. Uh, Those things are dangerous. We're getting some calls on them. Oh, they are. Well, I'm doing my second case right now. Uh, it's crazy. Yeah. But, a guy got killed by one the other day. Yeah, that ex- one exploded in his face. Yeah. Yeah. Horrible. They're hardly, you know, we were, you got to get, be lucky and get the right manufacturer. A lot of them are made in China and nobody has any insurance, but sometimes you get insurance or the right manufacturer. Yeah, that's what I was wondering. I think they could be junky, huh? It's, or uh, yeah. you just got to, you got to sign them up. And then what we do is we send them out to, uh, there's a group of us have got a bunch of different new batteries CAT scanned. So they can take the, because a lot of times what they do, they buy a battery and then they wrap it with their own label on it oh. and sell it as theirs. And so we now have what, they've found some markings so they can CAT scan them and figure out whose battery it is. And then you go from there. Well, but that's what explodes, the battery, right? It's typically, it's the battery that explodes. Uh, Jeez. So they're, mm-hmm. they're fun cases if you can find any, anyone with any money.
What a shame. People are trying to smoke and they get blown up by an artificial device. Yeah, they're trying to get, they think it's safer than tobacco and yeah. then try not to get cancer and then they get burned. It's just, yeah. So. Well, back to your story. Sorry about that. That was a. Yeah. But yeah, you know you've made it when you know. That might make, just make the cutting room floor. It may, it may stay in there. I don't, <laughs> I, I don't do that. Anymore. The, uh, uh-huh. I think people sometimes like those asides. Yeah. The, uh, but you know you've made it when on national. There's a national TV show that's referencing you. You you you've made it at that point. But yeah, going up to that, crazy. So you start off not delegating. It's you and a law clerk and a secretary. The yeah. Phone starts ringing off the hook. Right. How do you handle the? business growth you have to have. Because that's one of my been one of my struggles. It took me, you know, probably about fifteen years to figure out how to be a competent lawyer. And then the last ten or twelve years I've been trying to be a decent businessman while being a competent lawyer. And it's a lot harder to run a business than it is to be a lawyer. Well, yeah, I I found out that the once I went into partnership with Judge O'Connor, uh, my analysis was that the advertising is just the tip of the iceberg. And once I got the case, the issue arose about how was I going to handle it the most effective way. And my solution was to create a departmentalized system of, so, and, and this has evolved over the years and it's a lot better now than it was 20 or 30 years ago. But we created an intake department where there was intake specialists and all they did was take the new client calls. And then there was an operator who took took all calls. And then once the case was signed up, it was assigned to a case manager. So we had the case management department and each case manager was supervised by a lawyer. So one lawyer would have their own little mini law firm within Jim S. Adler and Associates. So a lawyer would have two or three case managers who were the point of first contact with the clients and assist them with their property damage, their medical needs, and hold their hands while they got accustomed to the system because clients are scared. People are afraid of lawyers and their, their lives are turned upside down. Yeah. So the, the case manager would be the handholder in chief and take care of the client. And she would go to her lawyer with novel questions or things that came up. And each lawyer would have a legal assistant and a clerk to help them with the work and copying. And then beyond the, the case managers with the lawyers, then we created what we called the packaging department, which was a, a specialist in preparing settlement brochures and gathering all the hospital records and the ER records and the medical bills and the diagnostic testing and the lost wage statement and putting that all into a, a brochure. And then it, each lawyer would have a packager They would package his or her cases, and then the package would be assigned to the lawyer for settlement. So the lawyer would negotiate the settlement brochure with with the insurance company and review it and make sure it was adequate. And that's all evolved to be better. 
the the big problem we had at that point was clients did not like they hated being passed around so it's kind of like okay I, I just got to the point where I love this case manager she's so nice she understands me she knows everything about my case she knows about this issue with my husband she knows about this issue with my kids now you're turning me over to some packager and you know what what we say is look yeah but you still have the same lawyer supervising your case and you're certainly free to call that lawyer you have that lawyer's name in the papers we mailed to you so what we did is we got the case manager to ease the transition and let the client know now you're going to be working with someone who's a specialist and they're going to go over everything with you and make sure they get all your medical bills and lost wages and then we we prepare what we call a client impact statement how did this affect your life Uh, well my husband can't help me with I can't take out the trash or we can't do this or how it affects their daily lives. Then um, the next department is what we call the closing department. So um, the closing department, once the case is settled, calls the hospital, calls the doctors, finds out how much the medical bills are and prepares a closing statement so that we can disperse the settlement funds and get the releases signed and of course we disperse out of our trust fund account so that's the that's the fourth department and then beyond that we have uh, administrative departments we have an accounting department we have uh, we, we have a really strong litigation department we have an intellectual, well, uh, an internet department that does all the the Google, the Facebook, because um, advertising has gotten so ridiculous now. You have to be strong on TV. You have to be strong on radio. You have to be strong. <laughs> it's crazy. It to be, yeah. That's the problem. Consumers have something. It used to be we had three network channels to watch and... Yeah, in Spanish, there'd only be one, and now there's like all kinds of different platforms. And like my son, hardly ever watches TV. He's on watching everything on his phone. Yeah, that's the yeah. I mean, they got all this what they call OTT over the top, where people watch Slingbox, they watch Roku, they watch PlayStation. Um, it, it's hard to reach people because you. All these, all these young people, they don't want to pay for cable TV. Right. So they call them cord cutters. People literally cut off. They don't cut the cord, but they they cancel their cable TV services. Yeah. And they watch TV on these devices, and and now all the the big TVs on the wall, you know, the fifty, sixty inch TVs, they're all Wi-Fi connected. So. You know, people watch Netflix, they watch YouTube. People don't have cable TV, so you got to find them elsewhere. Yeah, it's gotten harder. Yeah. I want to go back to, you know, you're setting up the firm. How long, what was the process that, how did you get from one secretary, one law clerk to these multiple departments? I mean, what what, what was the evolution there? 
Um, well, we just uh, we grew, we developed formulas as to how many cases can a case manager handle, how many cases, how many cases, how many calls can an intake person handle, how many cases can a lawyer settle, how many cases can a lawyer try. So we we did it with a statistical analysis, and as the as our case volume grew, I, I'm a big believer in client service. Uh-huh. And what I'm, I'm always trying to motivate everybody in this law firm to provide over-the-top service. I call it service marketing. It's just a, a fancy word for if, if a lawyer does a good job for a client, the theory is you'll get referred seven new cases. And so... I call them disciples, clients who are disciples, and you do a good job for them, they'll praise you. And it used to be word of mouth. Now it's Google reviews and Yahoo and Yelp. Well, the other problem is that if you don't do a good job, or even if you do a good job, but someone left a bad taste in the client's mouth, yeah. every time your commercial comes on, they're going to tell everyone in that room yeah. you know, how, how awful of an experience it was. And if you didn't find a way to provide... Not just good results, but a good client experience. No yeah, how much money you spend advertising, you wouldn't be here forty years later. That's so. That's so true, Michael. But the converse is the bad mouthers. They'll tell a hundred people. Yep. So the happy client tells seven. The bad mouther tells a hundred. How do you fight that? Yeah. It's t- so. The only thing I figured out is. Uh, just try to, there's always going to be some naysayers, yeah. and just try to do the best I can for every client, and you just can't make everybody happy. One client, when I talked to a client the other day, he said, why do I have to pay my child support, Mr. Adler? There's no money for me. Well, sir, why did you have the children in the first place? If you're not going to support them. Yeah, I was having a, a bad day once and someone wanted me to cut my fee more <coughs> because he had a big child support lien. And I said, well, I'm not the one that got the pleasure of making the child, so I don't think I'm the one that should have to pay the child support. Doesn't that, <laughs> doesn't that make, that makes me, that burns me up. Yep. Because I, I worked hard to support my kids. When, and it was hard in the old days raising kids and supporting them and getting money. Yeah. That's still not. It's a, a different <laughs> mentality. Yeah. Yeah. Did you figure all this stuff out on your own? Did you ever bring in any kind of consultants or other people to work with? Oh yeah, I've uh, I've written I've, I've written I've read tons of books on business. I'll 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 read books all the time on business and successful business. And I'm an avid reader. I love I read. The Wall Street Journal every day. I read Forbes magazine. I read Fortune. I read Entrepreneur. I, I like to read a lot of different books about business because, you know, going back to the University of Texas, they teach you how to be a lawyer, but they don't teach you how to be a businessman. They didn't teach me. I knew nothing. Oh, no. We're, we're, hor- we're horrible businessmen. And we have to learn how the business of law is a big part of it. So 
I'm kind of, I, I self-taught myself, but I, I tried to adopt good, solid business practices in the law firm and create all these different methodologies and departments and, and handle the business professionally. And, and I, you know, I, I found, uh, I, I got educated a lot from uh, people who would try to sell me things. And you learn a lot from just talking to people, talking to other lawyers. How do you do this? Uh, going to TTL meet, TTLA meetings, how do you handle this problem? That's more practice-oriented, but there, we all have a lot. We all have to run our practices as business. we gotta, we got to make a profit. Yeah, I've actually learned a lot from my referring lawyers and co-counsel lawyers. And, and I'll be yeah. honest, I, I'm going to confess, and I hope you don't kick me out of here, but you know, I graduated from... University of Texas Law School 24 years ago and you know that I, I was going to be a litigator and when I even when I went into personal injury like I was going to be the elite litigator and I kind of thought that you know there were pejorative firms right like mill firms and you know right. advertising firms and that we were better and you know and what I learned when I started you know getting to the point where the advertising lawyers would refer me some cases and we started working with them that they actually kept their clients much happier than I did uh and yeah. there was a lot of things that I, when I opened my mind and realized what incredible businesses that people like you run, what incredible client service, how happy the clients were, uh, you know, and it's just getting rid of this. I think there's a lot of jealousy. There's a lot of people that, well, I, I worked hard and went to school, so clients should just come to my door and I should just be rich. Right. Uh, and, you know, no matter what you do, like I don't advertise on television, but we spend a lot of time and a lot of money just lawyer to lawyer just for referrals I spend hundreds of thousands a year marketing to other lawyers because even if you even if you treat people well and you got good results from you you have to work and then you have to learn to run your business in a way that can give consistent yeah keep the clients happy not you know if you're worried about missing deadlines or what you have to do tomorrow all day you can't Mm -hmm. get anything big done we'll return to part two of this podcast in just a moment Each year, the law firm of Cowan Rodriguez Peacock pays millions of dollars in co-counsel fees to attorneys nationwide. Are you an attorney with a catastrophic injury or wrongful death case you'd like to discuss with host Michael Cowan? If so, you can reach Michael by calling 210-941-1301 or send an email to michael at cowanlaw.com. We now return to the rest of this episode of Trial Lawyer Nation. That's so true. My my rule is every client has to be called back the same day or at the very least the next day, and we monitor that, and we, we listen to, to people's voicemail, and we see how many voicemails they have queued up, and we try to measure performance. Um, and, you know, some of my best friends are great trial lawyers, and I've referred them cases but that some of them they won't call people back and i said look we worked hard to get this client please please call them back they're gonna fire us if we don't treat them like human beings that's one of the things i had to learn the hard way is that you know i'd be off doing deposits to trials and i'd not return the call and then all of a sudden i've got an angry client that yeah if i took 45 seconds out of my day just to say hey i'm in a trial right now but i have a couple minutes for you you know is this a mercy can I call you back late when I'm done it would have yeah. prevented hours and hours of agony later well I mean and they're good friends so I just tell you're gonna get fired yeah 
And just tell them like that. And if you, and I understand trial lawyers are focusing on trial, and maybe they don't want to talk to clients, but have your, or they don't have time, but have your secretary or your paralegal call them back. Treat them with dignity. The other thing that's so ironic is that you can handle one kind of case, and if you don't cross-sell that client on your other areas of practice, they will go to another lawyer because they think you only handle that one kind of case that you handled for them. It, it, I don't know. Have you ever thought about that? I, I have, and of course, I've, <laughs> I've done that. I've focused, focused, focused by my practice, but I mean, I, I know... Uh, I was talking to another lawyer I work with, and he had handled a car wreck for somebody and did a good job, and they were happy. Yeah. And then they had a family member die in an 18-wheeler crash, and yeah. they hired a different lawyer. And they asked, well, they ran into him. They said, why did you hire that lawyer? And, well, you did a great job, but I didn't think you did big cases. I thought you exactly. were, you know. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. So you, uh, lawyers, we get pigeonholed. We do. And, and clients think we only did the kind of case we handled for them. I found uh, the same works true with referring lawyers. That if I take, I used to think, well, I'm going to go take, let's say, some fender bender, like low impact, all state cases to try to get in with somebody. I'm going to do a good job and they're going to give me their big case. Yeah. Well, I've now become the low impact all state guy. They're, that same lawyer. Same lawyers, when I said no to those cases that I only do trucking cases and cases with serious injury and death, the same lawyers started, oh, I didn't realize that. And they started giving me the bigger cases. But until I said no to the smaller ones, right. they viewed me as a low-level lawyer. Right. Uh, it was yeah. amazing. Yeah. But, yeah, you have to let people know what you do. And then uh, another thing, uh, an important thing that we do is when we close a case, we ask for a referral. Mr. Jones, Mr. Garcia, if you were happy with the legal services and the result we got for you, please tell your family, your co-workers, and your friends and neighbors to use Jim Adler's legal services. And, and we have lawyers and case managers, we, we call them champions of justice around here. And who gets the most referrals and who, who brings wow. in big cases? And cross-sell them and tell them, look, you know, we handle explosion cases. We handle big 18-wheeler cases. Of course, it'd be hard to miss with me standing in front of an 18-wheeler <laughs> on TV. Or on top of one. <laughs> but but you, it, service marketing is so important. really believe that. You mentioned earlier that, you know, you've read a lot of books. What are some of the business books that you found have been most helpful in building this business? Oh, wow. Um... Well, um, the the one I, one I read next uh, recently, the CEO next door. Okay. Uh, good to great was a good one. Um, the the book uh, there's a book called Focus uh -huh. about staying focused in your area and not trying. It's all about how. Car manufacturers started to develop all these different lines of cars, and some of them didn't sell well, and so they lost a lot of money. Those are a few of the recent ones that come to mind. What am I? I've got a stack at home. <laughs> I could look on Amazon real quick. <laughs> but, yeah, just... Uh, um, to, I, I, now what I do is go, I'll go on Amazon and I'll look at 
best bestseller books on business and read them and and just see what they're all about and read the reviews see if people like them so even at this point you're still looking for new ideas and yeah yeah we're yeah we're uh we we have a saying around here if if we're not changing we're dying yeah and and we can uh, I'm not so vain to believe that we're doing everything right. We we always have to adapt and adapt to new technology and new ways of doing that, things. And we're we're trying to refine how we handle our bigger 18 wheeler cases and just just do a better job for our clients. Um, technology, the the big thing that's going on now is uh, lawyers are signing up clients by text message. Hmm. And uh, that's go. A lot of lawyers do that now, and and so, and so you're able to attach a fee agreement to a text, and and uh, it's um, kind of overshadowed the old-fashioned investigator. I, I'm not sure exactly how you bond with a client from day one. Doing that, I, I guess you talk to them with the client, and uh, I mean talk to the client on the phone and do a good job of letting them know what you're going to do. Uh, the big the big fight we have these days are, are people who buy the name Jim Adler on Google. And we fight that all the time because apparently uh, Google will sell the name Jim Adler to any lawyer. Yeah, I've seen that. I do, I'm looking up someone's phone number and I, yeah. I Google their name and the, there's three ads for other law firms that pop up first before the lawyer yeah. organic search. And the bar says it's ethical. I don't understand that. I don't, I don't think it's ethical. I think it's fraud. But I, well, I think the bar advertising rules are ridiculous because yeah, they, yeah. I was I was on the advertising review committee for about seven months. Really, a uh, long time ago. Yeah. And what I found is that the people that were trying to do the right thing, they would nitpick to death. Yeah, and then they would ignore. The people that were out there, if they, you know, they didn't submit anything. They they lied. They cheated. Yeah, uh, they wouldn't do anything to those people. And, and people that would hire a lawyer and fight, they'd give up, but they'd make them spend the money. And, you know, people back then, you know, things were a little harder to edit, so people would spend all this money to get a commercial, and then they say, "Well, you, you need to reword this, or the font needs to be a little bigger." And it was just nitpicky. But you're yeah. causing someone to spend a lot of money for nothing while you're refusing to do anything of substance to the, the, the bad actors out there. And so, like, yeah. you know, if the bar is not going to go after case runners, then right. why are we fighting with lawyers over the size of a disclaimer? Yeah, I, I, think, uh, I think it's so difficult to advertise now under the, the current rules because there's a, so many, I mean, there's tens and tens of millions of dollars being spent on television and it, it's hard to come up with effective advertising because if you come up with such catchy lines, it, it's, it's sometimes viewed as creating an unjustified expectation. Um, we, had a, we submitted some ads recent, recently, a script, and the script said, uh, background sound of cash register ringing. Right. And the bar said we couldn't do that because it would lead to an unjustified expectation that a client might be able to get some money. <laughs> and I, I wonder what clients think we're all about anyhow. 
Yeah, I've never had a personal injury client hire me and not expect to get money. I, I, I know. <laughs> you know, it's it's like I said, and the there's people one that the people that work for the bar are real nitpicky. Uh, yeah. And then there's people, when I was on the committee, it's been a long, I don't know who's on there now, but there were just people who didn't believe in lawyer advertising and they wanted to just make it as difficult as possible. Yeah. And then, you know, you could go, you could have fought that, but then you've got to hire a lawyer and litigate with, and they'll probably give up. But then how much money are you going to spend yeah. doing that in time rather than just doing a different ad? But yeah, we, we found that we can change it and still be very effective. But I see some of your competitors running ads at flat out volleyball rolls. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I see numbers being like I saw somebody with they had a 1.35 billion child abuse verdict I guarantee you that wasn't collected no Um, that was probably default judgment or something I mean and there's no disclaimer no what the client got what the fees were Uh, so how did they do that well they just they probably just did it because the bar is not out there proactively checking unless someone files a grievance no Uh, so well, the bar, the bar doesn't have a mechanism to record television advertising. When I was on the committee, I suggested, because they were saying, well, we only have so much resources. I said, why don't we hire a student and get yeah. the yellow pages, get all the yellow pages, because the yellow pages were big back then, right. and go look to see how many of the ads weren't filed, and you get 100 bucks per ad by just sending a letter saying you didn't file it. Yeah. Uh, and then see if, because a lot of the yellow pages ads back then did not comply with the rules, and they said, no, no, we only... We either we act on what people if they submit it to us we nitpick them and if they don't submit it to us unless someone sends a complaint into us we don't do anything. I I sent a letter to the bar and I suggested that we go back to how the the rules were before we had the the uh, the amendments and I guess it was in I don't know ninety three or something um, but the rule just used to be uh, false and misleading or omission to disclose a a material fact and now there there's so so many restrictions on creative thinking thinking and creative marketing and really i think it people say advertising hurts the profession i say lousy ads hurt the profession and the the public sees such sophisticated ads on tv why can't we be allowed to do more sophisticated ads? And that's part of the problem. At New Mexico, I love their rule. It's like you, you don't lie, don't mislead, but you don't, yeah. you know, all this prior <laughs> approval. Why should we have to go to governmental a governmental entity and get permission to speak? I yeah. mean, what kind of? It's kind of a prior. Are? Well, it's it's typically a, a, a prior restraint of free speech, but it's justified because the law is a profession yeah and so we're regulated but we live with it we do what we have to do and you've done all right yeah i'm surviving so how did you come up with the name the texas hammer um that was uh hey that was hayden bramley okay i originally advertised it when, when i first started advertising uh, when he was representing Nissan, he said, Jim, that's a brand. That's a trademark. Every product, Coca-Cola has a trademark. You need a trademark as a lawyer. And I, I said, uh, what's a trademark? <laughs> <laughs> and he said, well, it's like Jim Adler, the tough, smart lawyer. Or Jim Adler, El Abogado Intelligente Tanas. And so 
Originally, I was Jim Adler, the tough, smart lawyer. I remember that. Yeah, and, that, and I figured, well, maybe that's what clients want. They want a lawyer who's tough, but they want the law, their lawyer to be smart. So we, we went with that. Then uh, Hayden Bramley came up with uh, the hammer, the Texas hammer. And uh, in those days, there, was, there were hammers in, in a lot of different states because a lot of these... Uh, advertising firms, network affiliates, lawyers marketing services were national in scope and they did uh, ads all over the country for different lawyers which was kind of a good thing because we found out what the public liked and what the public didn't like and so we we had a network that kind of focus grouped our ads. So he said, you know, uh, I have some law, this is Hayden again, I have some lawyers that are advertising as the hammer. And uh, he said, you ought to try that. And I said, uh, okay, I'll, I'll try that. And turns out that that became the, and I became Jim Adler, the Texas hammer. And that became more popular than the tough, smart lawyer. So I still use the tough, smart lawyer mixed in with the Texas hammer. And it, it's been very effective in, uh, like you were telling me at lunch, a lot of people may not know my name, but they know the Texas hammer. And then, uh, and now we've come up with these sledgehammers that we use in the TV ads. And, you know, my, my first Texas hammer ad, when, when nobody knew who, who I was, essentially was uh, a hammer. I'm Jim Adler, the Texas Hammer. A hammer is a powerful weapon. It nails hides to walls. <laughs> I'll hammer everybody at fault. I'll hammer and hammer and hammer to get you the money you deserve. And since then, it's, the Texas Hammer has become iconic, and we use it in a lot of our advertising. Have you tried you know, different types of advertising, you know, some stuff that's not as uh, direct? Yeah, yeah, we um, we we tried to do uh, for over a five year period intermittently. We tried to do um, you know there there's two types of advertising. There's the hard hitting direct response advertising, which I I'm known for. Right, and then there's the image advertising, and. <laughs> We tried to do image advertising, and it just died. And 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 we had a a group a, a group of us lawyers who thought that would be good, and we tried it, and it just didn't work. Our numbers went down. People weren't calling us. People didn't recognize us. Uh, so the rule of thumb is. Uh, if a lawyer likes your ad, there must be something wrong with it. <laughs> That's what I say. How you know when you when you started getting big? Yeah, you're, you're on TV a lot. How did the your colleagues at the bar react at first? That was tough. There was a lot of. I was kind of a pariah uh, in the legal profession, and you know I'd hear big firm lawyers didn't like me. They thought I was destroying the profession. Um, and then uh, a lot of the law, there were big fights. I had big fights at TTLA with a lot of big, powerful lawyers. And uh, I just told them, look, I'm going to do it. And if you don't like it, 
I'm still going to be in TTLA, and I'll always be a TTLA loyalist, but I'm going to do what you, what I think is right. Yep. And, and I'm kind of stuck. You know, nobody's going to tell me what I can or can't do. But there was big fights, and uh, they were trying to get, you know, put us out of business and put these, these rules in. But nobody complains about lawyer ads except other lawyers. Yep. You go look at the bar results, nobody, the public's not complaining about lawyer ads. So it's a, <laughs> you hit a sore point with me. But now, you know, there were a lot of, you know, along the lines of specialization, I started referring a lot of cases to other lawyers. And that was a way I, I made uh, friends with a lot of the gray beards at TTLA. I bet you a lot of people that were fighting you at first were kissing your butt about 10 years later. It wasn't work. Well, yeah, but because, you know, I, I always liked all those guys and yeah. they were cool guys and they were smart lawyers and they, they fought for their clients and got good results. We just, we had a philosophical disagreement. But then, you know, if there was something I couldn't handle, I knew my limitations, you know. I wasn't good at med mail. I wasn't good at products. I'd, I'd refer those things. In a lot of other kind of cases that, that I knew I didn't have the, the moxie or the expertise to handle, give it to someone who can get a good result for a client. And I, I'm just as happy to, to take a third of the, get a referral fee. And, 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 and the client still gets money. And now... We refer a lot of lot of our smaller cases. We we tend to handle the big catastrophic injuries in house. We've got great eighteen wheeler lawyers here. I've spent a, a lot of money sending them to schools and develop developing that practice. Uh-huh. And having brilliant guys like you come talk to us at our law firm retreat, you've helped us a lot. I appreciate um, that. Yeah, you've you given us some great ideas. That, and I heard you speak at other TTLA seminars where we didn't know all these things. Now, how did you, you know, how did you learn, uh, how do you develop your lawyers? And, you know, that's, that's another thing that I've struggled with over the years. You know, you get more work than you could do, then you got to get someone else who's going to do it and do it well. It's, it's, uh, it's, it's just hit and miss. I mean, uh, lawyers here, they have to be able to work hard and, well, I mean, we, we're very open. Um, every night I put out a settlement report and I, I let them know how much we settled that day, how much we've settled this month. I let them know how many cases we're sell, signing up. They know how many new cases all their case managers are, are doing. I, I, think, I think there should be a lot of transparency. We've had a We've trained a lot of lawyers over the years. We've had a lot of great lawyers. We've had a lot of bad lawyers. You name it, we've seen it from the greatest lawyers, fantastic lawyers who worked for me and uh, went out on their own and were still friends to lawyers who had this or that issue. And uh, I've had to pay out money for their (laughs) mistakes. And uh, so it's... You, you, what, one thing we found is there's a, there's a firm called Criterion, uh-huh. and they have a testing service, and every lawyer gets tested, and it measures ter- 20 
what do you call it? Emotional quotient? Yeah. EQ? EQ. Is that yeah. IQ? Yeah. And it, it uh, measures how they get along with people, their, their work habits, 20, 30 different factors. And I want them to score it above an 80. If they can't, if a law, and, and that works really good. Really? Yeah, yeah, you gotta. And, and we've used employment agencies, but we test them ourselves because they don't test them. And, and uh, you know, lawyers are smart and they're good salesmen and they'll come in and tell you what they think you wanna hear. Yeah. And I've been snowed a lot of times and it just didn't work out. But we, probably right now, we've got one of the greatest nucleus of lawyers. We, we've got like 30 lawyers, and they're great. And uh, great employees. We've got 300 employees. And how do you, you know, I've, I've heard different things on training. I've heard some people say, well, I don't want to spend a bunch of money training someone because they're going to, if they're really good, they're going to leave and go out on their own. And uh, then I've got my firm. I, I spent a lot of money on training. And... Uh, even if they only work for three years, at least I got three years of a good lawyer rather than three years of a not so yeah. good lawyer. I, I'm a, my philosophy is simply uh, we'll train you, we'll give you all the financial resources you need for your cases. I, I hope you stay forever, but I'm going to give you portable professional skills. And if you want to go somewhere else, We'll still be friends. And if you're a good lawyer, I might refer you some cases. But I hope you stay here forever. But, uh, you know, we spend a lot of money on training, in-house training. We have professional trainers that uh, train the staff, that train the staff in needles. Everybody who becomes a case manager starts out as an assistant case manager, and they get 30 to 60 days of training Every intake person sits with a trainer. Um, as far as the lawyers, we try to hire experienced lawyers, or if we hire a, a new lawyer out of law school, and we've got some great lawyers, but they have to be a case manager first. Really? Yeah, yeah. You can't come in here and just be a lawyer if you're right out of law school. And I, we just tell them, look, you, you, you can work as a case manager, but you're going to have to work with clients. You're going to have to take all the clients. You're going to have to talk to the clients. You're going to have to keep them happy. Some of them are going to love you. Some of them are going to hate you. Um, if, but my, my rule is, I call it the pizza party rule. If a client is so obnoxious that you can't stand them, <clears throat> you, you buy a pizza, you write that client's name on a piece of paper, you set it on fire and you put it in an ashtray and you fire that client because <laughs> life is too short. Yeah. And I don't want, uh, it, and, and I always ask them, is that, a ni- is that person nice? Do you like them? Would they present well? Especially on the 18-wheeler cases. So, But I'll, I, I just say, look, we're giving you a, pro- a portable skill, a profession. It's like, in uh, some of the, you know, like our high school grads, uh, people that don't have college degrees, they work here. I say, remember when they taught wood shop or metal shop? Being working for a law firm, you're learning a skill, and it's a portable skill. And if you're not happy here, you're happy to. You're welcome to go down the street. Funny thing is, a lot of them 
will go to other firms and they want to come back. But usually I won't take them back unless they're really exceptional. Yeah, you've also you've got some alumni that are my old boss Rob Adams is an incredible lawyer, and I mean you guys still work together as far as I know. Oh yeah, and, Rob's uh, one of my best friends. He's yeah. a wonderful lawyer. We refer him lots of cases. He's just brilliant. Uh, Rob gets set. I mean, Rob's one of the best trial lawyers in the United States for my money. I agree with that. He's fabulous, and I, I know you you know Rob and worked yeah. with him so with him and for him, et cetera. But yeah, I mean, that, that happens, a lot of guys. So I heard you say needles. Do you, do you use needles as a case management yeah, system? Yeah, we, we use needles for case management, but we've, we've then, we spent, uh, you know, seven figures developing our own customized, uh, we have our, our a customized case, case management system that is a needles hybrid and okay. we improved on it and we have a customized uh, intake system that we built that's integrated with needles um, but needles is great but it didn't meet all our needs yeah we use needles and I like needles for what it does on a case-by-case <clears throat> basis but we had to do some for managing the firm the dockets to look at things on a like, I don't want to have to look at each case. I want to be able to say, what cases do I have where the lawyer has not... We have like a file review that has to... Not just a file review, there's certain things that have to be documented once right. a month. Yeah. Uh, that the client... There's a, we have not just any client call, but there's a client call where certain topics have to be uh, discussed at least once a yeah. month. And I want to be able to say, you know, what cases do I have where this hasn't been done? And, you yeah. know, what cases do I have where we filed the lawsuit and it's been more than 30 days and no one's served yet? Or it's... More than 30 days yeah. on, so I could go meet with people quickly and not have to go through all their cases to find that. And yeah, to do a custom report. Well, we, we had a firm create a dashboard to run on right. top of needles. Yeah. And supposedly the new 5.0 is going to be able to do it within needles. I'll, I'll it ever it. comes out. It's supposedly out, but you're like by request or something. They're rolling yeah. it out. But yeah. then with all that you develop on top of it, it's a new program might not work anymore. You might not be able to upgrade. Yeah, we, well, we, um, we used uh, Documentum software, and we actually uh, used an inf- implementation company called Proficient. Uh-huh. And there was a computer engineer there who we uh, who liked us so much and liked all my people. He came to work for us, and so wow. he manages all that along with uh, you know we, we have a we have like four IT people. Wow, we have a you know three in-house internet people. We have a consulting service uh, that helps us with the internet. So it's a lot of moving parts. Yeah, that's a lot to digress over. Whew. Yeah. <laughs> Trial Lawyer Nation is proud to partner with Trial Guides, leader in continuing education for civil plaintiff and criminal defense trial lawyers with books, DVDs, CLEs, live webinars, and more. Visit trialguides.com and use code TLN19 at checkout to receive our exclusive podcast discount on any Trial Guides products. That's TLN for Trial Lawyer Nation and the number 19. Discount expires August 31st, 2019. And now, back to the show. And I'm kind of jumping around a little bit. But you were talking about transparency and yeah. I'm out of I'm curious, do the lawyers know what the other lawyers numbers are? As far as product, like settlements or production? Yeah, yeah. 
Well, they have, yeah. Well, they, well, they not. They all have a monthly goal. Every lawyer has a monthly goal of you have to settle eight, x number of cases and you have to reach x number of dollars. And if you don't or you can't, then maybe this isn't a place for you. Yeah. And then I, I have what I have what I call when I do my settlement report. I recognize what I call the champions of justice. Every day, if a lawyer settles a large case, I'll say, well, our champions of justice for today are John, Joe, and Lisa. And uh, so that, uh, the, the, so they all want, everybody wants to be a champion of justice. And then everybody is incentivized. Everybody gets a bonus. Uh-huh. So if if you reach certain levels, you got you get a bonus, and and we have uh, the pre-lit um, lawyers have their salaries supplemented by a bonus, and the trial lawyers, the litigation lawyers, have a receive a bonus. But so it's it's very results oriented, and uh, everybody can give themselves a raise based on how well they did it. You know, I was always scared to share a lot of numbers with the lawyers. Yeah. Uh, I mean, everyone knew what they were doing and what their bonus was. Yeah. And I still don't necessarily share the exact bonus deal that each person has, but we started having a weekly meeting. Yeah. Uh, yeah, we, I don't share amongst each others, but... But I, I do share how much money everyone's brought in year-to-date and rolling 12 months every Friday at 4 o'clock. Yeah. Uh, at a meeting. Oh, that's good. Uh, we have a, a... I read a book called The Four Disciplines of Execution, because I was... I had some lawyers I was needing to get. They were hardworking and they were smart, but they weren't closers. Yeah. Uh, and because you could work on a case all day without ever settling it. And uh, and so it, it talked about how to, you know, you pick one wildly important goal and, and how you get to it. And our wildly yeah. important goal is to increase cash flow, shorten case time on desk. And so every meeting, people pick one to three things. And because we had a meeting at first, it picked like, what are the things that result in cases turning to cash? Yeah. And in our litigation firm, it was filing suit, getting trial date set, getting mediation set, sending demands, and taking key liability depositions. So I said, right. okay, these are the only five things that count. Every week, on top of all your deadlines and commitments, you have to commit to do one to three things. And so every, every week we have a 20-minute meeting, and we start off, did you do what you promised to do last week? And everyone has to publicly say what they did or what they didn't do. Oh, that's cool. Then we go through everyone's numbers, which I was scared to death to do. You know, not just gross fees that each person has brought in, yeah. and then we each make a commitment for the following week. And I think they know. I don't think there are any discreet secrets, right? But I it think has, they talk. They do talk, but I will tell you the <laughs> the the people at the bottom. Two th- one of two things happened. Either some people said, "I need to get my numbers up," and I saw miraculous transformations. Yeah, yeah. And other people said, "That's good. That's not fair." So and so is getting better cases, and they found better places to work. They both were wins for me, and it's just yeah. been a, trans- a transformation for our firm and our cash flow. Yeah, and pro- probably they would not, they wouldn't have worked out any. Right? Well, they, I was losing money on them. Yeah. Uh, but rather, you know, the people that said, "I'm going to take responsibility for this and figure out how to change it." Yeah. Uh, and one of my best lawyers now was one of my worst performers last year because now he's he's instead of worrying about, you know, yeah. What the other side was doing in case and being reactive, he started. Uh, he became a closer and you know got cases set for trial and pushes them and yeah. In fact, I got a text a minute. I just settled another one right. while we we're talking. Six fifty. <laughs> <So. laughs> yeah, I. 
I have a saying, uh, hire slowly and fire fast. Yep. Because you, we all get a sense of whether someone's working out or not with our firms. And if someone's not working out or they don't believe in our credo or what we stand for or our, our beliefs or they, they're not like thinkers, and, and not everybody thinks alike, thank God, but if they're not working out for your firm, you know, let them go and wish them well, and, and, and you may be doing them a favor. You, you probably are. The other thing i found that, you know, yeah. the, when you don't do it, it becomes worse. It becomes more painful, and then oh. and cancer spreads. If you don't cut it out early, it spreads, and then that bad attitude, you know, if you have yeah. five people doing their jobs well, and one doesn't, and that person doesn't get punished, yeah. some of those five people are going to say, well... Why am I working so hard? They're not. Exactly. Yeah, I'm carrying my weight. Why is he or she? The good worker wants to see justice. They want to see you don't you break the rules, you get punished. Yeah. The the uh, it's like a festering sore. You yeah. just have to put a bigger and bigger bandaid on. And you know it's it's hard, but and, and you're not doing anyone a favor by keeping them around, or they're not going to work out. The the other thing I do to measure uh, lawyer performance is. Uh, one thing I invented is what I call the verification meeting. Okay. And it's just, everybody dreads it and is afraid of it. And what happens is each lawyer comes in with his, his or her individual case manager, and each lawyer is required to do a recitation on that case. Um, what is the negligence? Tell me about the client. Who's the insurance company? What are the policy limits? How does the police report look? And let's see the property damage up on that big 85-inch screen behind you. I want to see the property damage. Are they getting therapy, etc.? And let's go through the case. And they just... And and it it gives... and, And so I do that with every lawyer. What it does is... It makes them stay on top of their cases. The, the case manager prepares the review sheet for the verification meeting. And the third wonderful thing for me is it gives me a sense of my practice. Like, yeah. I used to think uh, all my clients were 18 to 34. Well, I want to know, they have to put on there, how old is this client? What kind of, what, what kind of work do they do? I want to know. And what's crazy is we have clients, like I just did it day before yesterday, no, yesterday, and we have clients ranging in age from young kids, uh, you know, 5, 15, 16, teenagers. We have, a, we have a client that's 90 years old, 84, 71. So I said, uh, is, it, is that just a factor of I've gone through five generations of clients <laughs> and all the old people are calling me now? or? But, but it gives me a sense for wh- who my clients are and what they're like and what kind of work they do. And it gives me a sense of, boy, we got a lot of good cases or why are we taking so many bad cases? Like yeah. we were talking about at lunch. It's easy to try to have this, uh, this attitude about trying being, I'm a lawyer and I can help everybody. We can't. Or we'll go bankrupt trying to help everybody. 
So we, we all have this thing in our heart. We want to help everybody who has a need. What I've had, and I've worked a lot on this the last year because it's something I'm not, <laughs> saying no was so hard for me. It yeah. really was. But what I finally just have to tell myself, because I still don't have enough, I guess, self-worth to only say, I don't want to work on this because I don't want to work on it. Yeah. But I just remind myself, okay, I've got some incredible cases, people that are really hurt, that really need it. Yeah. To take time away from their case. Yeah. To work on one where I can't do that much good. And also keep in mind, there is a younger lawyer coming up the ranks that this case would be one that they would be excited on that they would want to take. Exactly. And so let let the client go to that lawyer. Don't try to do it all myself. I don't. The client's going to end up better off. I'm going to be better off. My other client's going to be better off. Yeah. Use your gifts and what's the highest and best use of your time. Exactly. And your knowledge and your experience. But it's... It's, it's hard. It's hard, but it's... Yeah. Uh, and you meet nice people, and it's hard to say no. Yeah, you know? I've learned that I, I, I do my screening <laughs> with paper. Uh, I, 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 yeah. I, screw the, I screen the paper before I meet the client. Oh, so I that know. I get the same, because once I meet that client, it's... It'll break your heart. I mean, I met with someone a couple weeks ago, and I, and I, and I, I did say no, but, you know, the, the guy had, you know, it's low property damage, yeah. uh, didn't report injury at the scene, Multiple prior injuries. He's on disability, but was working as a truck driver, being paid cash. Uh, you know, Tell me two other it. claims going on, <laughs> and, and just giving a deposition denying any other injuries in one of his other claims. Yeah. I mean, like, all these red flags. But he's a nice guy. Yeah, and you um, know, but I just and your heart goes out. To uh, him. It does, and I'm sure he got hurt in this thing. But you know, it's just not. We're not going to have not a, there. We're know? not going to have a happy ending to the story. And uh, in, in, in clients think lawyers can pull a rabbit out of a hat, and it, it's all if the facts aren't good, you can't create a miracle. Yeah, I had a, a real tough liability case, and the, I actually had a lady tell me, "Well, I see that you spent a hundred thousand dollars in this case, so uh, I know you'll find a way to get your money back. So I know we can't lose." <laughs> <laughs> oh, I know, client. Um, it's interesting. Clients think that lawyers have big fist fights in the courtroom, and they don't realize that a lot of it is based on friendship among plaintiff and defense lawyers and yeah. relationships and honesty and trust. So it's hard to explain that to clients about how the system really works. And, and I found uh, one thing you. You almost to get a client to to see things your way. Sometimes you have to say things about like you know what kind of nasty things that insurance adjuster said about you, Mister Smith, <laughs> and to get them to come around to accept an offer. Okay. You know, or they go to a mediation and they don't they don't listen to the mediator and they don't want to settle. And you know it's a you can't you know like you're saying you may not be able to win it even if you spend a hundred thousand yeah and that, that they're better what's the day, the saying about a good settlement is where everybody's mad I disagree I think a good settlement is where I say why the heck they pay me that much money <laughs> <laughs> but yeah I, I know the same yeah or, or, or the other one. Why didn't I ask for more? Exactly. <laughs> you demand uh, a million dollars and they don't even counter. Yeah. <laughs> but those are few. We've all had that. Not um, often enough, but yeah. So, 
you know, you would build up a practice on your own from being yeah. a sole practitioner to, you know, 300 employees, multiple mm-hmm. lawyers. I'm not going to ask you how much <laughs> money, but you seem to do quite well. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and providing good service and doing getting good results on cases and, you know, not just taking what other insurance company offers, but working them up right, right. Uh, educating your lawyers. I mean, you, you have an impressive operation here. Uh, what advice do you have for someone that's wanting to go out and start their business and, and start on the journey in today's environment? I, I, my, my advice is uh, I have a, a thing, and, and this goes to any young person, get on the, the fast track now and start working hard and start figure out a way to start trying lawsuits. What, what I see so often nowadays is young lawyers trying to find themselves or young people trying to find themselves and that you need to get on that fast track because, you know, people, you know, in their 20s, they're trying to find themselves and in their 30s, they still don't know what they want to do. So I, I would say... Number one, you have to work hard. You, when, you start, when I started out, I was working 18 hours a day. Um, develop relationships. Uh, join T- TTLA. Find referral sources. Uh, you don't have to advertise. There's a lots of ways to get cases. You know, speak. Uh, speak to civic groups. Do things to get... You, but you can't sit in your office all the time. You have to get out there. And, and that's a hard thing because when you're a solo practitioner, you have to try the case. You have to work it up. You have to develop the business. You're, you're a solo. You're, you're wearing so many hats. But figure out a way to just get, get things going quickly. Um, hire you know be honest with your clients hire good people find people you can trust i mean that, those are some of the the rules that that i follow don't t- fall into the trap of being lazy you all good things come to those who work hard and i, I think if you if you work hard and you try hard you'll be successful and you'll find your your own way and uh there's Texas, there's plenty of business for everybody. Man. Just go out and find it. Um, whether you're passing out cards or working with union leaders, or uh, I started out calling radio station managers and talking on the radio. Go to the Kiwanis Club, and there all these civic clubs, Kiwanis, Rotary, they uh, they they're all looking for people. Uh, I have a brother that works for my law firm in in Dallas, and he's the director of public relations. And what he does is he goes to these different clubs like Rotary, Kiwanis, and uh, he meets people there and talks about the firm. And get, he's got a Rolodex of about 5,000 people. And uh, wow. he, he... So... It's all in who you know, and if people trust you, they'll they'll send you business. A lot of people do it through their 
their church work or work, work in your neighborhood association, homeowners association. Uh, yeah. the, the people that'll get the most business are the people that have the biggest networks and be a joiner. Get out there and join and love people. Talk to a lot of other people. You'll learn something from everyone you meet. I have a, a, a friend who the policy of his law firm is every lawyer has to go have lunch with another lawyer every week. And if you don't go meet another law, if, and, and that's your, you can't work here uh, if you don't go meet another lawyer every week. Go have lunch with him. Uh, meet, if you want to do PI, meet criminal lawyers, meet divorce lawyers. Because those lawyers can send you business, yeah. and uh, law, criminal lawyers don't want to do PI. They they like the exciting, uh, you know, it gets your get your blood going, get you excited doing criminal work. Yeah, it's real life and death, freedom issues. So that's a good source of referrals. Yeah, the other thing I I would suggest, I mean, yeah. looking back at my life is yeah. one if you, this excuse of Oh, no one gets trial experience anymore. You know, as long as Allstate and State Farm are offering meds or less on a bunch of cases, if you want to go try, go around to other PI lawyers and say, I'll try your little fender benders when you're in your 20s. People will let you try those cases. No one is dying yeah. to try those cases. And there's That's cases a that great need, need to be tried. And yeah. the one thing I, I wish, and I went, to, I went to go work for somebody, but through a number of things, he ended up becoming a public defender, and I ended up with a firm way too young. I, I think my career could have been escalated about 10 years faster had I gone to work for an experienced PI firm that knew how to run a business, that did things the right way. Yeah. And there's a lot of things I learned by making mistakes that I could have learned by someone else's example. Oh, yeah. I, did. I, I went through so many schools of hard <laughs> knocks. I bet. Yeah, but, but you, you know, I didn't think that's a great point about... Some of these insurance companies have gotten so horsey and w- lawyers would love to find people that will try their, their Allstate cases, their Fred Lawyer cases, their GEICO cases, their U.S. Auto, uh, ACC. Because the, these are companies that are just making insulting offers. And you'll, you'll learn by getting beat up because they have... They have good defense lawyers, but I guarantee you, you, you go try a few cases and you get beat up two, three, four times, you won't make that mistake same the second time, and you'll learn the rules of evidence, and you'll learn the, the substantive law. you got to have a burning desire in your heart to, to learn procedure. And it's tough. I used to do, earlier in my career, 12 to 20 car wreck trials a year. Really? Uh, and they're almost all Allstate and State Farm at that time, uh, most of them with minor property damage. And what I learned is no one remembered the ones you lost. Yeah. But when you got, you know, thirty, fifty, ninety thousand dollars $90,000 on a chiropractor case, in that, even that's one out of 10, everybody remember that because no one else was doing it. And that, that's yeah. what led to bigger and I bet better you things. learned a tremendous amount doing that, too. And now that I'm, you know, handling the bigger cases, I, you know, having that confidence of having tried a bunch of cases. Uh, you're not worried about you know a lot of other lawyers that I compete with, you know they haven't they're great lawyers but they're not as comfortable in the courtroom just because they ha- there's something about repetition and yeah well but it's so, ugly it's, you know it's not there's not glamorous work <laughs> but I, I I think that's a great point because it's just as easy 
to try a 10,000. It's, it's basically the same case, but trucking cases, you got the rules and regulations, but the principles are the same on a little car wreck as a gigantic wreck. And once you get the, you, in the, what is it? The, the greatest fear is the fear of public speaking. Yeah, the, uh, the other thing is when you start a gigantic car wreck case, the jury thinks your client's hurt and they're on yeah. your side. When you try the little ones, they start against you. If you can learn to win a little case, yeah, you can win a big case. And, and, and the other thing is, uh, I have another friend who, who, uh, who's a great trial lawyer, and I said, what's your marketing program? He said, uh, my marketing program is going down to the courthouse and kicking ass. Yeah. And, uh, and people find out who's winning and who's like you're saying yeah. and so if you go down there and, and you start trying cases and, and start doing and, and you'll start winning them a lot of people think they can't be trial lawyers but they can but they're, they're afraid of it yep. and, and you just got to do it and the more you do it the more you'll get confident about it the better lawyer you'll be and you're going to you're probably going to lose half of them or more, but you're going to win some too. Yeah, and that's going to pay the bills. And you know, the hardest thing now is it was kind of, in the old days. It was like trial by ambush. There wasn't much discovery. Now you, there's so much discovery. It's it's just outrageous. But you got to do it now. Well, Jim, thank you so much. I oh, really enjoyed talking to you. Yeah. And I'm, I've learned a lot from this, and uh, I'm going to go back and try to apply a few more things at my firm. Yeah. Okay. Thank you. My pleasure. Thanks, Michael. Thank you for joining us on Trial Lawyer Nation. I hope you enjoyed our show. If you're a regular listener, be sure to visit our website, www.triallawyernation.com to opt in to our mailing list and stay updated on our new episodes. And if you have a Facebook account, send us a request to join our private group called Trial Lawyer Nation Insider Circle. This exclusive group will allow you to hear about our podcast before the air, interact with the show, and get a sneak peek at some of the behind the scenes moments. If you're not on Facebook, you can always contact us via email at podcast at triallawyernation.com. I love to hear from all of you, so please continue to send us emails. Thanks for tuning in, and I look forward to having you with us next time on Trial Lawyer Nation. Trial Lawyer Nation is proud to partner with Trial Guides, leader in continuing education for civil plaintiff and criminal defense trial lawyers, with books, DVDs, CLEs, live webinars, and more. Visit trialguides.com and use code TLN19 at checkout to receive our exclusive podcast discount on any Trial Guides products. That's TLN for Trial Lawyer Nation and the number 19. Discount expires August 31st, 2019. We look forward to talking with you again soon as we continue to explore powerful insights from our amazing host and remarkable guests here on Trial Lawyer Nation. Until then, please be sure to subscribe and review this podcast on iTunes or your favorite listening app so we can continue to reach more listeners. Visit us at www.triallawyernation.com to send us a message, listen to previous podcasts, or learn more about Michael Cowan and our guests. 
This podcast has been hosted by Michael Cowan and is not intended to, nor does it create the attorney-client privilege between our hosts, guests, or contributors and any listener for any reason. Content from the podcast is not to be interpreted as legal advice. All thoughts and opinions expressed herein are only those from which they came.